and welcome to Thursday Night Talk here on KHSU. Tonight, Tom Wheeler is our host. As always, we welcome your contributions. Please give us a call at 826-4805. If you're out of the area, at 800-640-5911. And to our text line at 492-KHSU. Now over to Tom. And Tom, is it your first show on Thursday Night Talk? This is my first Thursday Night Talk. So thank you, KHSU, for welcoming me with open arms. Uh, And this is a fun one. We're going to be talking about offshore wind production here in Humboldt County. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Tom Wheeler. I am the executive director of EPIC, the Environmental Protection Information Center. And so EPIC is a forest organization. Um, We are not an ocean organization. Um, So I I brought along some friends to help me examine this topic of offshore wind energy. So with me today is Lori Biondini, uh, RCEA uh, the Redwood Coast Energy Authority, uh, their Director of Business Development and Planning. Welcome, Lori. Thank you. Glad to be here, Tom. And Jen Colt, the Director of Humble Baykeeper. Hi, Hi. Jen. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, Matthew Marshall was going to join us today, but he had a family emergency and had to step out. Um, so we're thinking of him and his family, um, but we are so excited to have Lori here as well. Um Lori, some people might not know what RCEA is. Can you give a quick elevator speech about what RCEA does? Sure. Well, the Redwood Coast Energy Authority is a joint powers authority um, that was formed in 2003 by all the incorporated cities in Humboldt County, as well as the County of Humboldt, to um, implement sustainable energy initiatives in uh, the region. And so mostly we work within Humboldt County, but also do some regional planning initiatives around alternative fuels, such as um, electricity for electric vehicles. And, um, and then just focus on energy efficiency. And then last year we launched a community choice aggregation program. So now we also serve Humboldt County customers with e-electricity. Um, that's about it. All right, so now you are in charge of getting the juice to people's outlets, is that right? That's correct. All right. Well, we're, we're partly in charge, yeah. You together with, uh, with PG&E yeah. and, yeah. yeah. It, okay. So. Uh, we also have Jen Colt. Jen, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about Baykeeper, what Baykeeper does? Sure. Humble Baykeeper is a member of the International Waterkeeper Alliance and also a statewide network called California Coastkeeper Alliance. And we all work to protect water basically for not just the environment, but for human health. And so that means swimming, drinking, fishing, um, as well as protecting the critters that live in the water, aquatic resources like um, fish and all kinds of other critters. But Humboldt Baykeeper focuses on Humboldt Bay, its tributaries, so the whole watershed, all the water that drains to Humboldt Bay. And then we also work to protect coastal resources from Trinidad Head to the mouth of the Eel River. All right. Well, thank you, Jen. Um, so we're, we're here to talk about offshore wind energy. Uh, you may have heard about this. It has been in the news. The North Coast Journal had a really excellent article outlining what this is, um, what this means, what's going on. Uh, so let's let's talk about offshore wind. What is offshore wind? Uh, this floating offshore wind. This is this is our unique kind of humble touch. We have we're, we're proposing to put in floating offshore wind. Sure. Well, it is unique um, in that. Uh, offshore wind energy exists um, on the East Coast because they have a continental shelf that will um, make it so that you can do fixed bottom 
um, platforms for these wind turbines pretty easily because of the shallow depth of the coast over there. But we have a deep um, water here on the West Coast. And so what has made um, offshore wind potentially viable here on the West Coast where the water is deeper is this floating technology where they can have platforms that are floating in the ocean that support these large wind turbines. Um, so it is quite exciting that this technology has developed into a phase where it's been piloted el elsewhere in the world and um, people are really interested in the West Coast now because we have this really amazing offshore wind resource. It's really windy out there. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about this. So we have kind of a, a world-class offshore wind resource. Mm -hmm. what, what does that mean? How hard is wind blowing and where is it blowing offshore? Um, well, it's, it's blowing about, um, it's 10... 10 meters per second. Which sounds very fast. It's very fast. And it's uh, quite a ways out. Um, you know, it varies based on, you know, how far out you're going. But we're talking about at least 20 miles off um, the shore. And, you know, right, right around here and south of us, kind of off of Mendocino, and then north of us um, towards, you know, Del Norte County and in Oregon are very windy areas. Um, they're world-class wind resources. They're just, um, you know, have this amazing, I guess, energy that we could potentially capture now with this floating technology, which is really exciting. And so it, it seems like, uh, from my perspective on the sidelines, this project or these projects are moving forward because of a number of pieces that are kind of falling together at the same time. Um, one of the things that was most interesting to me was the role that the Navy and our armed forces played in in kind of concentrating attention here on little old Humboldt County. Jen, uh, I know that you know about this. Can you tell me about the the Navy's green and red map, their go no go map? Sure. Well, um, unbeknownst to us, there were wind energy projects being considered offshore in uh, the Morro Bay area. And then um, all of a sudden last fall, the Navy said, uh-uh, that is not going to work. Forget about it. And they put out a map that said, you know, basically most of California from Sonoma to the Mexican border is what they call a red zone, which is there's too many military activities here. Um, and then the coast of Mendocino and Humboldt and I believe Del Norte were uh, green, labeled green, although they have now downgraded those to yellow, which mm -hmm. is proceed with caution. Um, so it's not the go ahead for the entire coast, but um, you know, the good news is that we don't have a lot of military activities off of our coast. And so um, a lot of the attention now, or really all the attention for West Coast wind energy offshore has been focused here. And all, this, um, all these government agencies and resources are looking at us now. And we also have a harbor that will be sufficient to, to develop this power. Uh, Lori, can you talk about why Humboldt County and why Humboldt Bay is potentially unique and special in, in these early wind projects or in the development of wind energy? Sure, we have a deep water harbor um, that's already being utilized. And so it would be conducive to actually, you know, putting these things together um, in our harbor and then, you know, towing them out to sea from our harbor. They're also you know, when they're towed um, upright, going to be very tall. Like how, how tall are we talking here? <laughs> Seven to nine hundred feet, potentially. Ooh. So very, very tall. I keep when I look at the the pulp mill stack out in Samoa. I, I imagine double that about 
as I think how tall these will be. They'll be pretty tall. Um, uh, and so if I remember correctly, these are so tall that they would not be able to be assembled in the San Francisco Bay. That's right. Yeah. The the Golden Gate Bridge, <laughs> that massive bridge is is too short to it's, allow them to, to get under. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And so we don't have, um, you know, the impediment. We don't have a bridge um, blocking or, you know, at the entrance to our harbor or anywhere between where these would be assembled and then towed out to um, our ocean. And so it makes it a really great spot to potentially assemble these and, and take them out there. All right. And, and so there's there's another component and there is a lot of attention being drawn not just to offshore wind but to wind energy in general um there's an idea that we need to diversify our renewable energy grid mm. um can you can you explain that idea ab- about why wind as part of the larger component why can't we do just all rooftop solar for mm. example <laughs> um i guess the the basic answer is that the sun doesn't shine all the time so we have a, an abundance of solar during the day when the sun is shining and solar modules are collecting this energy. Um, but at night, uh, you know, that we don't, you need to get energy from the grid and other places. So one, you know, option has been, of course, storage. Solar with, with battery storage is um, a great option that is being developed and is good. But And is being developed here in Humboldt County, too. Yeah, uh, we are with, um, yeah. With yeah, the, with We're microgrids at, at the airport. Yeah, yeah. very exciting. And the Sorry. Blue Lake Rancheria. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I distracted you. It's okay. Yeah. It's, it's all very exciting. But um, but wind is complementary to solar as well, and that we've um, it's pretty our resource off of the coast of Humboldt County is pretty constant. Um, so it would be a good sort of base level of energy that is producing much of the day. Um, but also a, a little bit more at night when, when solar is not producing as much. And so it could be very complementary to other renewable resources such as solar. And so there's one other piece that, uh, Laura, you touched on before that is going to be important for a later part of our conversation when we're talking about the potential impacts of wind. Um, so the, the technology is now ripe. We've had some experiments with floating offshore wind. Um, we we don't have a lot of it in this world, though. Uh, I think that there's a there was some off of Portugal, um, maybe off of Scotland. Scotland. Am, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Maybe Norway too. Yeah, and, oh, God, and France on, soon. And <laughs> France. All right, I didn't know France, so I, I'm mostly on it. Um, so the technology has been proven to some extent, um, and so this is another one of the reasons why why now mm-hmm. is that we were potentially waiting for this technology to be tested somewhere. And so it's been tested and now maybe we can import that technology back into the United States. Um, but as, as we'll talk about later, uh, it is still a, kind of a new science. Uh, we, we have not done wind in this fashion uh, before here in the United States. So, uh, we've had a little test plot, I think off of the coast of Oregon once. Is that where our, or where principal power set up their they were planning to. Oh, uh, they were planning but they to. Didn't, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we we haven't done this before. So some of these impacts are things that we don't know. And so this this will be a fun part of the conversation of how do we deal with potential impacts when we're uncertain about what those potential impacts are going to be. But let's get back to the project that's being put forward. All right. So RCEA has done something kind of unique and interesting. Um, it is 
putting its name on a bid to develop some offshore wind resources off of our coast in federal waters. How did that end up coming to be? Sure. Well, for all the reasons that have been kind of brought up before, um, our coast became, you know, the focus all of a sudden for several offshore wind developers, um, renewable energy developers just in general. And so we were approached by um, a couple of entities who were, including Principal Power, who's a, you know, a technology developer and provider, um, but also other entities who were just in the um, business of developing offshore wind energy around the world and and realized really fast that this could actually be a viable idea um, for our community and also that there was potentially going to be a project happening here um, whether we were involved or not. So we started thinking about just trying to you know spearhead this effort to have a community led project or at least have a very you know big community participation in a project if it was going to be happening. So that is kind of what happened and, and you know we're a public entity so we went through a request for qualifications to get some interested parties in. And how many interested parties, how many people were wanting to work with RCEA to develop a, a wind farm off our shore? Sure, we got six responses um, and they were teams of um, respondents and uh, went through a process of review with um, a review committee that was made up of several community members as well as a, a board subcommittee um, from our board of directors. And they reviewed all the proposals and um, decided that this group, this consortium that we ended up picking, which was including you know, Principal Power, um, EDP Renewables, and Acker Solutions, um, as well as H.T. Harvey and, and Herrera, another environmental um, consultant that's located in Washington State, and you know, determined that they were um, the best response and were extremely well qualified to pull off a project like this, and were really enthusiastic about working with us and working with the community to make sure that this um, project, if it goes forward, you know, has maximum community benefits and is community driven and um, will be, you know, bringing good things to Humboldt County. So you've chosen Principal Power together with um, other groups, um, a, a consortium. Um, where where are we in this process? How soon is it um, until you get approval? Or what's the approval process even like? Who Who is regulating offshore wind? Sure. Well, um, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management is controlling uh, that portion of this ocean um, that offshore wind would be sited in. So this is, you know, the, the state has kind of jurisdiction over the first three miles off the coast, and then beyond that is federal waters. So we're we're still in the process, to go back to the first part of your question, we're still in the process of figuring out a cooperative agreement between the consortium. Um, so all four members are have been you know, working together to try to put together an agreement that would get us through this first milestone, which is applying to the Bureau of Energy um, Management for this particular spot in the ocean that we're we want to build the project in. Do we know what that spot is yet? We do have a pretty good idea of what that spot is. Can you and tell us? Is that secret? <laughs> it's not secret. Right. We've been, um, 
it's it's a uh, it's a spot. It's out in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, about you know twenty or twenty four miles out, and yeah, no, th- this has been it's been um, <clears throat> you know kind of tried to be narrowed down as much as we can. Because we're still, you know, wanting to be in conversations with um, people that will be impact and people that are interested in this, um, environmental groups, uh, fishermen, uh, people that live along the coast, people that have their, you know, livelihoods and and in the community, and um, and as well as all other, you know, stakeholders who are interested in knowing this. And so, we are um, pretty, I guess, good on what spot we think that we want to build the project. But the next step then would be um, continuing to do outreach to make sure that as many people as possible know um, that this is kind of our plan so that they can provide input very early on. Um, and we can try to you know, get, get the best spot, I guess, in the ocean that we possibly can. And then um, after that, when we kind of in parallel figure out this cooperative agreement of the consortium, we'll be um, submitting an application to the Bureau of Energy um, Management for um, ocean energy management to um, secure this particular site. At that point, it gets a little bit crazier, (laughs) which is- (laughs) If it wasn't crazy already. Yeah, if it wasn't crazy already, they have to, solicit interest so they have to say okay but we've we've received this application for this particular spot in the ocean is anybody else out there in the world potentially interested in this spot in the ocean so then other other companies can come in yeah. and and bid for that same location well yeah they can indicate their interest uh-huh. and if there are if it's not contested then they can go ahead and issue the lease um, but if if somebody else is interested in that uh, spot in the ocean, then they would go to a competitive auction process. And so at that point, we would then have to potentially compete against others who were also interested in that little spot in the ocean. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you're listening to The Environment Show. Uh, this is a call-in show. Please call in with any questions that you have. Offshore wind energy is new and exciting and kind of confusing. So call in. The number is 826 826- 4805 or 1-800-640-5911 or you can text us at the KHSU text line uh, that's 707-492-5478 or 492-KHSU all right looking forward to getting your questions um, so this this is uh, uh, somewhat kind of scary right so RCA is putting forward all this energy to to put in a bid mm-hmm. and someone else can swoop in. Mm-hmm. Why is RCEA confident that its bid is going to be the one that, boom, uh, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management selects? Sure. Well, we put together a very strong team. I think that was one of the points of going through this request for qualification process was to figure out who you know we thought had um, great experience in developing renewable energy projects, who was you know wanting to invest in energy you know, these renewable energy projects such as offshore wind, um, and then who had, you know, the expertise to go through the probably very onerous permitting process that a project like this was going to take, as well as who had experience actually um, constructing and building things in the ocean. So this team has all that. And so it's a very strong team. And then we also are confident in in our place in the community. So making sure that uh, everybody is aware that what the community thinks is very important. It's important to um, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. It's important to the state of California. And so we 
we're kind of trying to bring that into the mix as well with this team and so, so it's yeah. not just whoever has the most money they are able to consider other um other things like local control and community buy-in yes okay well that that's good um all right so there there are potentially other uh bids that could be submitted um let's talk about a full bureau of ocean energy management build out uh so they have let us know that they're not only interested in this project, but they're interested in other projects as well in this same area. Uh, Jen, you were recently uh, at a meeting where they were discussing what a full build-out might look like. How big are we talking here? Well, yeah, that's a good question that we haven't really talked about with the with the proposal that RCEA is talking about, which is basically a, a test size project, right? It would be like what five to ten wind turbines or yeah about that we've been talking about 100 to like 120 megawatts which could be those are some big wind wind turbines they could be very big wind turbines so if we're you know maybe an eight megawatt turbine um then yeah like 10 10 to 12 turbines right so that Um, would be a test project but a full commercial scale built out project would be something on the order of like I think it's more like three gigawatts. So, and and I, I know that we've we've talked about gigawatts before, you and I. How how can we wrap our mind around a gigawatt, if that's possible? Well, a, one gigawatt is a thousand megawatts, right? So, mm-hmm. if we're talking about a ten megawatt test pl- plot. Uh, test 100, project. 100 megawatt. Uh, 100 megawatt. Sorry. See, I'm already screwing up the math. Yeah, you better do that. I know. Part. All right. So if we're talking about 100 <laughs> megawatts, then that is 100 times 10 times 3 or 4, depending on if they're going for 3 or, or 4 gigawatts. Um, so we we could see a very substantial development uh, of wind energy off of our coast. Um, I, I know that probably some of the coastal development people are uh, salivating at that thought. Um, (laughs) This is the reason that we've kept so much coastal dependent industrial land locked up for all these years. Um, All right. So let's, let's turn to what this might mean for our community and what this might mean uh, for Humboldt Bay. So uh, when we're talking about impacts, one of the ones that usually comes up with a wind project is views, which um, I'm not I, I don't totally understand. I think that wind turbines are beautiful. Uh, I went to school in Vermont and there was some on the hillside uh, near my college. And I, I love to look out at them and see clean, renewable energy being produced. Um, maybe it's not everyone's cup of tea. Uh, so we have a 600 to 900 foot turbine um, or a, a set of them off of our coast, 20 to 24 miles offshore. Um, can we see that? If I'm a, if I'm a surfer, I'm at uh, Trinidad Head or the uh, the I don't know where people surf. Um, <laughs> and, Power poles in Samoa, right? Sure, whatever. Um, <laughs> can can I look out and will my uh, will my shredding of the gnar? Is that surf language? Would that be uh, bummed by by seeing these wind turbines? I don't think so. I I, I should also apologize to all <laughs> surfers out there. You are free to hate me. And sorry to Surfrider Foundation as well. We love you guys. Well, if you're sitting 
on your surfboard in the ocean, probably not. No, you okay. won't be able to see that. Um, we They will be very far out and not really visible to the naked eye um, unless you're potentially up somewhere high. So maybe actually on Trinidad Head, like when you're hiking up towards the lighthouse, yes, potentially you'll be able to see a tiny little something out there. Um, we might also be able to see the lights. They'll have to have some sort of you know warning to um, maritime activities or planes. So they'll likely have um, you know some lights on them. But I guess there are technologies now where you can have lights that only um, come on if if there are you know some if they sent like sig, sig, uh, excuse me uh, they have like radar on them or something they're so triggered they're by of, something yeah yeah so sense some plane that's entering into their space and then they can figure out whether they need to be lit up or not um, so there are ways to actually not have them be such an eyesore even if it was just a tiny small light on the horizon that you're seeing them but yeah I mean they're probably not going to be able to be seen by most people most of the time okay um all right let's let's turn to um potential impacts to wildlife uh so wind wind energy has a reputation of being uh harmful to uh in particular avian species birds bats um we have had some some bad projects and i think that that has tarnished some of the reputation of wind energy um and you know we it's hard to like something when you have dead bald eagles and dead golden eagles um and so this this has been one of the most constant questions that i've had that i know the environmental community has been kind of grappling with we have the potential to decarbonize a, a pretty significant amount of energy coming into our system and this is really important to back up and you know why wind energy why are we considering this at all uh we want to combat global climate change as best we can uh the state of california has renewable energy uh, standards that we are going to try to meet and we're also trying to uh, cumulatively reduce our total amount of emissions so uh, it looks like there was just a press release from uh, the air resources board that we are going to meet uh, our first 2020 target of getting to below 1990 greenhouse gas levels and we've made it three years early uh, so hey congratulations everyone we get a little <laughs> pat on the back for that um but one of one of our most significant uh, sources of greenhouse gases is from energy production. Um, right now, Humboldt County has um, the what is it called that that power plant down on the the South Bay. The Humboldt Bay Power Plant. Is that really that simple of a name? That's what it's <laughs> called. Ah, crap. All right. Well, so we have the Humboldt Bay Power Plant that's producing about 165 megawatts. Is that right? Is a capacity too, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So around there, and that's powered by natural gas. So we're talking not quite um, a, an equal amount, but a, a pretty sizable amount um, of new energy that could come into our grid. And maybe we can talk about what grids mean and how energy gets to us, because I know that there's confusion there. Mm -hmm. uh, so decarbonizing our grid infrastructure is really important and that's going to impact avian species. So I know that we've been weighing this, but we may not know much about these species. So Jen, can you tell us kind of what the best knowledge we have is at the moment 
And where could people find out this information um, if they were looking to, to do so? Well, I actually am not a wildlife biologist, so I cannot tell you the best information oh, we crap. have. What I know is that there are albatrosses mm -hmm. that far offshore. Um, I know that we don't know enough yet about the, the, any of the wildlife species that far offshore. And there's going to be many studies over several years looking at that kind of information. But there's a website called databasin.org that the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management um, has, or is it the California Energy Commission? Whatever. Anyway. I think they're both the contributing to this. Databasin.org has a ton of data. You can make your own maps. You can explore the data. And there's a, um, a lot of information coming from Europe. Um, and, you know, there's concerns about whales and fish and fishermen and, and all kinds of things that, you know, we're in the early stages and we just don't know. Uh, what the impacts will be and how best to avoid or minimize those impacts. But the reality is that fossil fuel power is causing ocean acidification, which is having massive changes on the ocean, and we've got to get away from that. So, um, you know, we have to look at the, the data and balance, balance those, those different impacts. All right. So this is this is the thing that I was hinting at that I was really excited to have a conversation about, which is how we should approach uncertainty. So as you said, we we don't know a great deal about what species are offshore at that distance and at what densities um, and how they would be impacted by a wooden turbine like this. So that is flight height, um, you know, are they actually going to get hit by rotors? Are they going to run into the uh, turbine uh, plat what is that called? Pole? The float. The float, the or pole the, uh, <laughs> itself. Um, so when when dealing with something like this, how is Baykeeper approaching um, uh, uncertainty? Uh, to what degree does the precautionary principle uh, affect, affect your sort of evaluation of a project like this? Or you know, when when do you think you'll be able to make kind of a judgment on the merits of a project, you know, whether Jen Colts has to go forward or not? Well, it really is going to come down to how good the data is, how good the information is. And that's why it's really important to have really um, uh, a robust team of environmental scientists working on this project. But not only that, to get a lot of stakeholder uh, input early in the process. So we have a lot of scientists who work for agencies and, uh, you know, ag regulatory agencies like the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And then we also have nonprofit organizations uh, like the California Audubon Society has a uh, renewable energy manager who has, you know, quite a bit of expertise in looking at renewable energy projects. There's a woman who works with Defenders of Wildlife who has a lot of experience looking at big solar projects in the desert. And so we look to um, our colleagues and allies in other organizations in other parts of the state uh, to help us analyze the data and, you know, what sort of information we need to assess. You know, there's really not a place where you can go and say, well, tell me the whale migration routes, 
you know, 26 well, so, miles offshore. So why why would we care about whales? Let's let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about that in particular as as one one thing that may not be obvious to people, but how they could be impacted by a wind turbine, a floating wind turbine. They're in the ocean. Why why could whales be impacted? Well, the wind floats are going to be um, at least the idea at this point is to have them about a mile apart. And then they will have cables instead of a permanent foundation. They'll have, uh, I believe, at three or four cables stretching to the bottom of the ocean floor. And then there will be a cable going in between them that's about 100 feet or so beneath the surface of the ocean. And um, there's lots of ways that whales could be impacted, um, starting with any kind of interruption of their communication, which is all underwater. And there's like, you know, there's a lot of um, science around the, the various, you know, noise levels and electromagnetic fields and that sort of thing that need to be looked at. There's, um, you know, are they gonna be actually attracted to these? De, um, er, the the wind turbines themselves and then somehow you know um, for example let's say there's fishing gear that gets lost in the ocean because sometimes people set out lines of crab traps and then it moves around too much and they can't find it and it's it's out there floating around it could get wrapped up in those cables and then the whales could get entangled in that um, so, you know, we need to be thinking about all those different things so that we can try to, you know, avoid the impacts or figure out how to minimize them. Okay. Um, and what, what do we know or what could we reasonably suspect about um, impacts to the development of Humboldt Bay? Humboldt Bay is obviously one of the great reasons to live in Humboldt County. We have this wonderful, um, clean bay uh, that supports, you know, uh, aquaculture it supports great recreational values what what is development of a wind industry potentially mean for Humboldt Bay well you know that's one of the the aspects of Humboldt Bay that's actually a benefit to this project in some ways there's a lot of old former industrial dock sites on the Samoa spit and um, you know that's where the shipping channel is dredged, and a lot of those sites have been uh, highly underutilized. I think would be the term, you know. And some of them are contaminated properties that, without the the financial gain to give somebody a reason to clean them up, we saw what happened with the former pulp mill that was just sitting there for eight years with millions of gallons of caustic liquids until. There's some kind of a, um, either a nonprofit or a government agency takes it over and gets grant money or the EPA to clean it up. The, the other alternative is for there to be a profit motive for someone to come in and clean those properties up and uh, reconstruct them into something that can actually be utilized. So um, one of the, the big impacts of the Shell Wind Energy Project that was proposed up on Bear River Ridge um, was the massive uh, road infrastructure that was going to have to be rebuilt to carry all those wind turbines, whereas this project can bring all the equipment in on ships, uh, build the wind turbines at the docks, and then, as we talked about earlier, tow them out um, with barges 
through the Humboldt Bay entrance, which has really no impediments except for when the bar forms and makes it difficult to get across the bar in the winter. Um, but, you know, there's no bridge or anything to obstruct uh, those. So the, the rebuilding of the dock infrastructure on Humboldt Bay could actually be, you know, not only a, a development that wouldn't be harmful to Humboldt Bay, it actually could help clean up some of those old former industrial sites that have been just rusting away and rotting and into the ground. Well, that's a fun counterintuitive answer. <laughs> I, I was I was kind of expecting a little more doom and gloom, but you you brightened my day. Um, I'm trying to be cautiously optimistic here too. I yeah, mean, that, that's know. my line that I've been using with people as well. <laughs> cautiously optimistic. Um, or I'm not sure as a host if I'm allowed to have <laughs> these sorts of opinions. <laughs> Who knows? For sure. Uh, all right. Well, so so as you uh, said, Jen, there's going to need to be a lot of surveys done. There's going to be a lot of data collection that will be done specifically for this project. Um, what do we know about about surveys? When will we know more information about how these things will be done? Well, I, I think you could probably go to the database and website and find out how to submit information directly um, to yeah the California Energy Commission. Um, so if you're if you're a fisherman and you're out there every day and you have some sort of information about you know fishing use in this area, that's something that you can submit. I think you certainly can. Yeah. Um, I don't know how likely that is to <laughs> get that kind of accurate information from fishermen, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do know that RCEA is also um, helping the the intergovernmental task force that's been formed by BOEM and uh, in the state of California um, to plan some stakeholder outreach meetings. And one of the meetings that is upcoming, I think it's going to be happening in early August, will be focused on gathering data. So they'll present what they have in this database in um, tool and then try to you know solicit input on that data. Is it accurate? Is it not accurate? You know, here's some more that you're missing in the gaps and um, to have people um, actually specifically focused on on this uh, data. So all right. Well, so if, if someone is wanting to go to this August meeting or mm -hmm. to learn more, is there some some place that they should sign up for email alerts or whatever? Yeah, they could go to RCEA's website, hey, which is we redwoodenergy.org, um, and sign up for our mailing list. Um, also, we will just try to, you know, we'll try to get on K, you know, KHSU again when the um, meeting date is finalized, and we'll try to get the word out there in lots of different media. So, And I should also plug as a great source of information, Humboldt Baykeeper has a website. Humboldt Baykeeper has a great email uh, list serve that um, Jen delivers uh, timely information on. Jen, how can people get involved or how can they uh, stay up to date on this information and Humboldt Baykeeper's work? Well, one way is you can go to the Humboldt Baykeeper website and uh, look for how to sign up for our emails or you can send an email to alerts at humboldtbaykeeper.org or you can also like us on Facebook. We post a lot of um, news stories about ocean and bay related issues there. And then also you can listen to the Eco News Report, which you know we do the third Thursday of every month. And so that's all Humboldt Bay related issues. And you can go to the KHSU archives, the Eco News Report has uh, all of our shows archived there. And I think we've done an Eco News Report on this subject. 
Yes. I have a terrible memory. I interviewed Matthew Marshall um, maybe in May about this, and that's... It's all on the website now, and uh, the KHSU Archives website. People can go there to look for it. All right. Check out the Eco News Report. Well, so folks, if you're out there and you have information that you want to share about offshore wind energy or this 20 to 24 miles off coast area, or if you have questions, uh, we have two experts here in the studio. Give us a call. The number is 826-4805 or 1-800-640-5911. If talking on the phone ain't your thing, we have a text line. Text your question to 492-5478. That, again, is 492-5478. All right, looking forward to getting your questions. Um, So let's get back to energy. Um, So I I realize that we didn't really do a great job of kind of conceptualizing what 135 megawatts of energy is. Uh, So in terms of our, our local energy usage, how does that compare to Humboldt County's total energy use? It's about on par with our total energy use. Cool. Yeah. I think you mentioned the, yeah, the Humboldt Bay power plant, which is powered by natural gas was uh, built to, to serve our, our load here, our electric, our electrical load here in Humboldt County. And so that's about what it is. And um, we can, you know, peak at sometimes above that um, and, but that's about it. I, okay. think, I think our peak is maybe around 160. So if if RCA's project was built, would that mean that we are getting all of our energy then from this offshore wind project? Potentially. Um, I do, I think that we'd be able to, uh, you know, energy is a market. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as like how much RCEA would be buying of that energy, it might not, it might just be a portion and there might be other entities in California that are buying into that um, energy source, but the actual, you know, where it will be connected will be in Humboldt County and it will likely, um, yeah, all flow in, into uh, this, this region pretty much. Okay. Um, and so with, with an energy grid, right, if energy is coming in, we can't kind of select where individual electrons are going to go. That's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this this is going to connect to the larger grid. Do we have capacity uh, for 135 megawatts to come in, and where would it connect to the grid? Yeah. Well, we do have capacity for it to come into our county. It just would be um, it would be a strain to actually export it out of the county. So any, so we have minimal ability to import and export electricity f- into the area. So that is kind of where it would get constrained potentially. Um, but yeah, we would be essentially using those electrons here in Humboldt County. And, you know, one of um, RCA's goals is to, with decarbonization, is to um, switch from fossil fuels to more clean, renewable energy, which can be provided through electricity. And so potentially we might be using more electricity over the coming years. We might have more electric vehicles that are being charged um, here in the county. We might have um, heat pumps um, for our heating sources as opposed to gas furnaces. So, All right. Well, so so on this decarbonizing our, mm-hmm. our energy um, here in Humboldt County, as part of this community choice aggregation program we now um we now kind of have a minimal amount um that uh will um will be renewable energy coming in so how much renewable are people going to get as kind of a default right now 
as default right now? Yeah. About 44%. Okay. And can people upgrade? They get- can. They can opt up to 100% renewable energy through our Repower Plus program. Yeah. All right. Great. Yeah. So I just wanted to highlight that because I think everyone should be doing Repower Plus. Uh, we could all be doing our part. It is a very small extra amount of money. Yeah. I'm sorry if I sound like an RCEA salesman, uh, but I'm very passionate about energy infrastructure and decarbonizing our energy. Um, so it's about, what is it? $10 a month extra for an average family to go to Power Plus? It's hard to say because everybody has different um, usage, but it's one cent um, per kilowatt hour more. Okay. All right. Well, talking to friends, I think about $10 extra a month. That's that's what I'm hearing. So we have a call coming in. Holly, welcome to uh, Thursday Night Talk. What's your question? Well, I I have a comment first. Sure. Uh, First of all, Jen Call is so good at speaking truth to power. I've heard her several times. I'm a member of Baykeeper, uh, and I'm an old-timer here. Oh, years thank ago you. When Jimmy, you're welcome, Jen. Uh, years ago, when Jimmy Smith was a supervisor, and anybody who's been around a while knows what an honest, dependable, absolutely reputable Jimmy Smith was as a supervisor, as a fisherman, as an advocate. And I was listening to a call-in show when he talked about the wind turbines on Bear River Ridge and the the fellas, I'm, I'm being polite, <laughs> the fellas from Shell tried to mislead us. They thought we were local yokels and they found out we weren't. And that's why we didn't get the wind turbines on Bear River Ridge. What Ken is telling us is absolutely correct and we need to listen to people like Jen who know what they're talking about as as opposed to people who throw up smoke screens and demagogue does that cover it Jen <laughs> I think that is absolutely true, Holly, and I will second your endorsement. And so, Jen, I think it's about at the 744 minute mark that you're going to want to go back and clip this and maybe put it in your annual report. Just a quote about how great Baykeeper is. I'm definitely going to send you. it to my parents, that's for sure. Holly, do you have any questions about Offshore? Thank you. No, I really don't have a question, but this program is fantastic keep well, on doing it oh thank you so much i'm glad to hear that thank you for calling oh, in I'm Holly. Sorry, one more thing yeah i took my grandchildren and i were driving from uh the south jetty to lolita and there was a, a wind turbine and we stopped and we turned off the car so we could listen to it and there was absolutely no noise all right which is yeah Okay, thank you. Oh, well, thank you, Holly. That That's an important piece Bye. of information. Bye-bye. And that's an impact that we haven't talked about yet, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, these are going to be so far offshore that noise, as far as people are concerned, are not going to be an impact unless the people are out in the ocean. We, we do have a potential impact, though, for wildlife species from noise, from kind of grinding gears, whatever. So that that is something that still needs to be determined. Whales, obviously, a very sensitive hearing, um, so... We'll find out more, I'm sure, in the development of this process. I'm sure it will be in whatever sort of environmental documents will be produced. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, mm-hmm. what sort of environmental documents are going to be produced for this project? Is is all there good? Them. All of them. <laughs> okay. Well, you heard it here. <laughs>
Case case closed. All right. So what does that mean? So um, we're going to have to comply with the environmental or the National Environmental Policy Act, NEPA. Yes. And so we're going to have to do an environmental impact report theoretically. And so that's for the bone bone process, mm-hmm. right? Because that's the federal nexus. Yes. Yeah. And uh, as Jen and I can tell folks, there will be a, an opportunity for people to comment as part of that process as well. So if you have concerns, if you have further information, uh, there will be another chance, another bite at the apple for folks as part of the NEPA review process. Um, So be on the lookout for Mm -hmm. that. Um, We'll also likely have to go through CEQA because the um, cabling to connect the the infrastructure onshore to the turbines offshore will go through state um, jurisdiction. And if there are any potential endangered species that could be impacted, we're going to have uh, consultation is what it's called under the Federal Endangered Species Act. So there's going to be a lot of information um, that will be developed as part of this process and delivered to the public. And also the California Coastal Commission will have a chance to weigh in through the what's called the Federal Consistency Determination. Mm-hmm. And that is really reassuring to me because the California Coastal Commission is incredibly thorough, very informed, um, knowledgeable staff who do a great job thinking of all the details. So that's that's going to be a really important part of the process. All right, so we have another call coming in, and it's Jesse. Hi, Jesse. Uh, welcome to Thursday Night Talk. Yeah, hey, thank you so much for this show. And I had a question, and Jen addressed it a bit, and you were just touching on some, some of the environmental issues, potential with all of this. Um, I was just thinking about it. You mentioned the albatross potential connection there, and certainly migratory seabirds, you know, um, having a big structure, you know, we're talking about it so far offshore, not going to impact us in terms of noise or, or this kind of thing. And you did mention about the potential entanglement for whales and such. But um, is, is, are these structures going to be lit up at night? And then what are the potential problems with, with that sort of thing for migratory birds in particular? That's a great question, Jesse. Um, so so lights, let's, mm-hmm. let's hit lights. Um, there, there will be have there'll have to be some sort of lights for these. What, what are these going to look like, or what could they look like? Yeah, so there will be lights um, closer to you know the the level of the ocean for um, maritime navigation. So people in boats that are coming up on these things will be you know warned that they're there, um, and so that will be lit up. That won't be you won't be able to see that from the shore um, because it'll be you know kind of more. Uh, over the horizon. Um, and then the tops of these things will need to have some sort of indicator towards um, any any airplane. So they're in the, I, I guess airplanes aren't supposed to be that low. Like, so if they were, it would be somebody in distress or somebody having, you know, an issue. Um, but there could be um, lights that could uh, just be triggered because there's something in the airspace. Um, but it's, you know, unlikely that that will happen unless it's a, you know, extraordinary circumstance. Um, And those lights can, there, I guess, are different technologies that are FAA approved um, that can uh, be not so visible from, and not make such a a visual impact from shore, so. All right, Um, and as, as as a potential impact, lights and 
you know, whether or not they could draw in migratory yeah. birds or somehow impact uh, their migration pattern, um, that is conceivably going to be something that will be studied um, as part of a- any of the permits that they're going to have to get. Uh, but, Jesse, I would encourage you, because that is a great question and that's something that we should be thinking about, when the public process does begin, we need to get people like you uh, to ask these sorts of questions. Um, because the more minds that we have thinking about this project, the more that we'll be able to evaluate the potential environmental impacts. So thank you so much, Jesse, for that great question. Yeah, and thank all of you for this show. It's really, really good. Oh, well, thank you. Okay. Okay, good night. Good night. All right. Um, so there is another wind project here in Humboldt County um, that is coming up. Uh, if you follow uh, Epic's emails, um, which you should, go to wildcalifornia.org, enter your email address, and you'll get uh, our biweekly uh, email updates. Um, there is a new wind project being proposed near the area of the previous uh, wind project that Jen mentioned, the one put forward by Shell about uh, eight to 10 years ago. Um, this is being produced by a company called Terragen, who is who are based out of uh, San Diego, California. Um, and it is another um, approximately the same size wind project uh, for Monument Ridge near the town of Scotia. Uh, so they are looking at producing about 135 megawatts. So an equivalent amount as is being produced uh, would be produced by the RCEA project. Um, and they're looking at a larger number of turbine, turbines because they're going to be smaller because you know, efficiencies of scale. I, I imagine RCEA is doing the largest turbines they can just because it'll be more efficient to put out fewer. Um, so they're looking at somewhere between 45 to 70 wind turbines on Monument Ridge. Uh, so this is another project that is going on at approximately the same time um, as this offshore one. And I, I bring this up, even though this subject is offshore wind, I think it will be easy to become confused by these two projects because we're going to be hearing a lot about both in the next two years. The um, the project off the, or excuse me, the project on Monument Ridge is, is slated, um, the developer wants to begin construction by 2020, which is a very expedited timeline um, if you're, if you pay attention to the government world, uh, the regulatory world, you know, that, that is, you know, all pistons are firing uh, on that, uh, to get that done by 2020. Um, and there's, there's potential to impact, um, this offshore project, I would imagine. Um, so we will have energy coming in from two different places. Um, can our grid have both? of these projects at the same time. Our, our, is, is our energy infrastructure sufficient here in Humboldt County? Um, so probably not as fully proposed, um, but that, that's being studied right now. So that um, the project that you referenced on Monument Ridge, I, I believe that they have um, already applied for an interconnection study, which would be the study that determines what actually can be fed into the grid. And we have also applied for that. And so um, we'll, we'll both projects will essentially find out how much capacity the grid has to um, allow these projects to connect. Okay. Um, do you have a timeline on when you'll find out on uh, the RCEA project when you'll hear back? I've heard that this grid interconnection permitting process is actually kind of the most time 
consuming of these processes? Yes, it could be about two years. Okay. It could, it could be a while. So about 2020. Yeah. All right. Well, um, be on the lookout for that project as well. Um, and uh, this, again, is another project that we are looking at uh, very closely at, at EPIC, at the North Coast Environmental Center. Um, this is this is a, a very important project for our area, and there are also other potential impacts here. The impacts from onshore wind, we probably know a little bit better than the impacts from offshore. Uh, so maybe I can get the host, or maybe I can host another show and bring those folks in. I'll just be the, uh, the wind person for Thursday Night Talk. <laughs> um, all right, so... We are getting near the end of the show, um, so we're we're wrapping up. Uh, do folks have some kind of last parting comments uh, that they that they want to share um, about this project, Lori? As as the project proponent, uh, ostensibly, um, why? Let's get one last pitch on why this is a good project. Why Humboldt should be excited about offshore wind energy. Well, it's a great renewable energy resource that um, is rare in the world, and we have it here. And I think it um, offers the potential for many benefits in the county, including you know, economic development and um, jobs, as well as just, yeah, having this clean renewable energy resource. Uh, jobs, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so this is how you know you're talking to an environmentalist. I totally forgot to think about jobs at all. Oh, gosh. Um, I'm such a stereotype. <laughs> what what does this look like for jobs? How many jobs could be produced locally? Do we have those sort of estimates yet? No, I mean that is uh, an unknown um, at this point. I mean that's you know yet to be determined, it, but it's kind of open at this point. We are thinking about strategies to maximize long term sustainable economic development in this area around the wind industry. It could be really exciting in terms of research, in terms of um, you know manufacturing. It it could be a, a really cool thing for our area to have um, you know not only jobs but good jobs that are supporting clean energy that's really exciting and um it's it's worth exploring for sure yeah if we're the first people i imagine that we all have the first jobs and we'll have the best knowledge here and so hopefully we can be a, uh if this goes forward a, a leader in in that kind of clean energy revolution get that part of the green revolution all right jen we have one minute left what what is how what does baykeeper want people to take away from tonight's conversation well i think um Basically, Jesse brought up a really good point that there's a lot that we really don't know yet. And at this point, we're really focusing on understanding the, the whole process because the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management process is pretty foreign to us. We haven't had any offshore oil leases, thankfully, proposed in you know the entire time I've been working as an environmental advocate. So uh, learning what that process is like and what the points are at which to submit comments. But also we're in the process of collecting a lot of the information. And so, um, you know, a lot of times we rely on volunteers to help review a lot of those documents. So if people have that type of expertise, they should get in touch with me. All right, or get in touch with me. You can email me at tom at wildcalifornia.org. I'd love to hear how I could improve this show next time. This was my first time. So thank you so much for joining me on Thursday Night Talk. Have a great night. You've been listening to Thursday Night Talk on KHSU. Thanks so much to our host, 
Tom Wheeler, and to our guests this evening, Jen Colt and Lori Biondini. We'd love to get feedback on our programs. Please email Thursday Night Talk at khsu.org and like our Facebook page Thursday Night Talk on KHSU. Our theme music is composed and performed by Jeff Kreider. My name is Michael. I've been your studio engineer tonight. Stay tuned to KHSU. No Room for Squares is coming up next.